So we're continuing, well, finishing our series today. And um, so we're going to be looking at prayer. So turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. And um, we're going to look at that together. So far through partnership, get my breath back. So far through partnership, we've looked at a few different things. We've looked at Sunday services. We've looked at connect groups. We've looked at serving, giving. And in this one, we're going to look at prayer. And um, we've launched three new connect groups. We've had over 30 people signed up to um, different teams. And um, my hope today is that as we talk about prayer, we can encounter something new that can see us launch into all that God has for us. So I'd love us to pray as we start, um, because I believe if we're going to talk about prayer, then we need to pray as we begin. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you always hear us and that you're with us. And God, I pray today that as we talk about prayer, as we journey through this together, as we conclude this series, I ask God that um, you would come and move in power amongst us. I pray you'd show us and give us a revelation of the joy and delight of talking to you, of encountering you, of deepening in relationship with you and going further in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Great. Well, I love prayer, and so this is a great opportunity to talk um, about prayer. And um, I love prayer because I love Jesus, and um, I love talking to Jesus. It's just one of those things for me. Prayer isn't something that I've got to do or kind of make happen in my life or a formula or pattern or thing. It's actually just a gateway to the presence of God. Prayer is just an opportunity to talk to Jesus. Six years ago, we moved into our house in Ingham, and um, when we moved there, it was about this time, and it was um, around Finley's birthday, and so we were thinking, what do we get for Finley for his birthday? And so we were looking around, and we thought, what we need is a trampoline. Now, as it happened, in the shop, in the window was a little card, and um, with a trampoline for sale in the village. So I went to see this lady, and paid £100 for this 14-foot trampoline. It's absolutely ginormous. We took it home. We got it into the garden and then went, how'd you put this together? So <clears throat> by this point, it was about six o'clock in the evening and um, we're kind of thinking, this is all right. We can, we can do this in the next hour or so. We can get this ready a couple of days ahead of Finley's birthday. We're going to be absolutely fine. About 45 minutes into it, we were going round putting the um, springs in place. We thought something had gone wrong. I don't know if you've ever put a trampoline together. But basically, you do not put it in order in terms of the springs all the way around. There's a pattern to do it. I didn't know that. And as you get round, by about halfway, what you realize is that the fabric that's in the middle looks about half the size of it should be to fit. And so what I thought was, what you need to do is stretch the springs really, really hard to get them on. And we're like thinking, we can do this, we can do this. We're losing light by this point. And Joy's then thinking, don't worry, I'll Google it. We've just moved in, there's no internet connection, and we're in the middle of nowhere. Do you know when you get that little E on your phone? You panic, don't you? Basically. I don't know what E stands for, but it should just be rubbish, shouldn't it? It's like, this is poor. It's not going to do anything. So we clicked how to put a trampoline together. You just get a white screen, and you can see that little bar. And it usually gets about that far on the screen, doesn't it? If you imagine your screen's that big, it gets about that far, and then stops. Like, what's that? Why not just say error or not going to work? Either way, it just stops, and you get a white screen. So we couldn't work out how to do it. The light was fading. And we're thinking, come on. By this point, I trapped my hand in the spring so many times. I had four or five blood blisters all over my hand. And I was like, what is this? What have we done wrong? This is like horrific. So 
We thought, don't worry, we'll come back to it the next day. When we Googled it and actually looked online and saw the pattern and the formula that just helps you to understand how to put a trampoline together, it's actually remarkably simple and the fabric fits. I think the same thing's true with prayer. If you're on your own and you're in the dark and you're struggling, you will end up with pain and blood blisters. But in community and in connection and in relationship with each other, we will see how we can put this thing together so that we can use it for its purpose. You see, one of the problems we have with prayer is that we get focused on it so much, we think the end goal is prayer. The end goal isn't prayer. The end goal is relationship. You see, you don't build a trampoline in order to look at it. You build a trampoline to jump and to experience something and to enjoy something. So when we build and when we talk about prayer, we're looking to build something to establish it so that we can move into relationship with God. We're not talking about prayer so we can idolize it or focus on it for itself's sake. We're going to talk about prayer so that we can enter relationship with God. And so we're going to move through. And my hope today is that we can avoid some of the pain and the blood blisters that sometimes come when we don't understand prayer or we're confused about it because prayer is incredible. I want you to um, look at the screen. There's a picture that's going to come up with a definition of prayer. The ever-present, ongoing, interior conversation with the divine. Some call it prayer. And I want you to have a look at that, that picture. And um, this is um, taken um, from these guys who have written um, a couple of books on prayer, which I just want to encourage you to get hold of. This one's called Prayer. It's a good book, good title. Um, 40 Days of Practice by Justin McRoberts and Scott Erickson. And the way that these books work is that they're 40 days. There's another one as well on the Lord's Prayer. May it be so, 40 days with the Lord's Prayer. And um, essentially the way that they work it is that they have short passages of text and things to read, and then a lot of pictures. Who likes picture books? Me. And um, that these pictures are so helpful in terms of us understanding prayer and connecting with God. And um, I want to encourage you to get hold of those, because as we talk about prayer today, I believe we've got to understand that prayer isn't just me sitting on my own and, and trying to have a conversation with God. It's so deeper and richer and more full and expansive than that. You know, it's visual, it's art, it's full of praise and worship and adoration. It's full of um, movement and conversation with God. It's visuals, it's, um, it's journaling, it's silence, it's solitude, it's community, it's feasting around the table. Prayer is full of all of these things. It's deeper and richer than you could possibly imagine. Now, you may remember a few weeks ago or a couple of months ago, I spoke about prayer in the summer. And um, I just want to remind us of one of the things that I said there, that prayer is one of our, I believe, our primary purposes, calling, and one of the reasons that we were made. We were made to be in relationship with God, and therefore conversation with God is what we were made for. So prayer isn't something to add to your life, isn't something to try and build. It's not something to build up and say, this is what it is, and look at it itself. Prayer is a tool and a gateway and accessing and, and kick-starting who we really are so that you can enter relationship with God as it's meant to be. A trampoline is a tool only to help you jump higher. Prayer is going to help us go further in our relationship with God. And so relate, this, our relationship and our prayer life is to be enjoyed as we connect with Jesus. And I want us to focus on that conversation with God, not just prayer itself. So let's see how this ever-changing or ever-present ongoing conversation with God can change the world. Turn in um, your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. 
We're going to read about Peter's miraculous escape from prison, and you can see on the screen um, and follow that through as well. (coughs) So Peter's miraculous escape from prison. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some, some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this met approval with the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison and handed him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was due to bring him to trial... Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the sentries stood guard at the entrance, i.e. maximum security. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so, wrap the cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards and came to an iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself, or came to his senses, some translations say, and he said, I now, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel to rescue me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda answered the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed and ran back without opening the door, and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting it was, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept knocking. Just picture that scene for a moment. You've just escaped from maximum security prison. You're on the run, and the friends that you're wanting to let into your house and having a conversation, and you're like, excuse me, excuse me, I'm still here. So Peter kept knocking. When they opened the door, they saw him. They were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and his sisters about this, he said, and he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had made a thorough search for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He'd been quarreling with some people from um, Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and he delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is a voice of a God, not a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. 
an amazing sentence. But the word of the Lord continue to spread and flourish. I love this passage. I'd love you to um, scan over that just for a couple of minutes because there's so much there. It's a long passage for us today. But I want to take us through um, a few points that I think will help us. Acts is written by Luke, who wrote uh, the Gospel of Luke, and it's kind of like his second account. He's taking us further on the journey. And what he's doing here, and what Luke loves to do, is to contrast images between the people of God and the people who are against God. So he contrasts those things. We see that here. It's why we get the sudden and immediate death of Herod, kind of, kind of put in this point. Um, it's to make a contrast. It's to make a point with what's going on. But Luke also has as one of his central and key messages the idea that the people of God or the church is dependent upon the intervention of God himself. So in every turn, in every moment, the people of God need divine intervention to help them in what's going on. And so these two stories contrast those things, but they also show us how God is on the move and we're dependent upon him. So I want you to hold that in mind, especially when we think about all that image of Herod dying and that very quick sentence, the angel of the Lord struck him down, he was eaten by worms and died. It's um, just, just a horrible thought, but it's one of those things that's meant to contrast something for us in terms of this is what God is up to amongst his people. The key verse for us, or the key summary of what we're going to look at today is in verse 5, which says, And so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for him to God by the church. The church is earnestly praying for Peter. They're going for it. And I want us to get this idea today, that as the church prays, as the community of God, As the people of God, we will see God move in power. We will see incredible things take place. This angel then breaks Peter out, and we see a wonderful example as the church prays, incredible things take place, things that they can't even believe or get their head around. So five points today if you're making notes. The first one is this, prayers endure. Prayers endure. There's an endurance here that we see as the earnest prayers are made by the church. You see, at this point, we've got loads of different things going on for the community and for um, the population at the time. The whole of Judea was in famine, which is why the people of Tyre and Sidon come to Herod. They're dependent upon him for food. There's a famine taking place in the land. That would have impacted the early Christians. There's an economic crash in Jerusalem. And so there's economic, social, food pressure that's taking place for these people. And so all of this is taking place as the backdrop And yet what we see with them is that their willingness, that in the midst of this pain and brokenness, unanswered questions, this difficulty of what's taking place, they're praying for Peter to be released. There's a lot going on in the background of this. And when we understand prayer or begin to understand prayer, one of the mysteries that we've got to begin to get our heads around is the mystery of answered prayer and the mystery of unanswered prayer. Because both of them sit hand in hand. I don't believe the church was just praying for Peter. I believe they would have been praying for the area, for the famine, for food, for supplies, for all of these other things going on. Yet on one hand, seemingly seeing no answers or unanswered prayer. In other places, beginning to see answers. And so there's a mystery that begins to take place, or a mystery that we see. Why is one prayer answered and another not? What is the difference between those things? Are there some keys that we can learn? Because I believe that for many of us here, as we are thinking about our prayer lives right now, there are things that we've been praying for where we've seen answers to prayer, and there are things, or there have been things, that we've prayed for where we haven't. 
And we carry some of those things as burdens. We carry some of those things as hurts and pains that actually we can't quite make sense of. We prayed in the same way for that situation and we saw breakthrough. We're praying for this and it's unanswered in terms of what God is doing. It may be that we've got illness that we're struggling with, that we've got unanswered prayers in. It may be that our finances or our, we're praying for our work colleagues to become Christians and we're not seeing any movement. <coughs> it may be that we've got loved ones that are away from God and we're thinking, when are they going to come back to church or the faith or both? How are we going to make sense of those things? We're asking questions as to why. Oh, thanks, Dawn. Appreciate that. I actually got myself a glass down here, but I, I appreciate that. <coughs> and we begin to ask why, and why becomes this kind of central question or the central point that we make in our lives. And we wonder what's going on. Now, what I've learned through my limited life and time with God is that asking the question of why doesn't seem to get much of an answer. I don't know if you've been there where you kind of begin to ask why. Why, why this God? Why this situation? Yet what does seem to get answer and movement forward is what's next. And God, what are you doing? And God, how can I encounter you and meet with you in this moment? I'd love us to look to the screen again and see our next picture. This may or may not help some of us, but I, I like this picture. And um, I just thought as we think about prayer and our lives and the circumstances that we face and some of the things that we're praying for, Maybe there's some things going on that we can't yet see. Maybe there's some things taking place that from our perspective point we've not yet encountered or understood about what God's doing or what God's watering or what's taking place through our lives. And I just wonder if we began to view prayer a bit more as a place of encounter than a place of disappointment, that maybe we'd be able to see that God is doing things even in the midst of silence, even in the midst of questions, even in the midst of confusion, God is doing something. There's an endurance for us. And I believe that for some of us, we need to go back to prayer and to say that we may not have answers to all of these questions, but we're going to pray the next prayer. God, what's next? God, what are you doing around my life? And how can I see and how can I join you? in that. The second characteristic or second point linked to, in, to endurance is that prayers persist. There's a persistence that we need if we're going to see and push through and understand what it means to encounter God in the space of prayer, to connect with him, to push through. <coughs> As I've said, the church here could have been hugely discouraged. There could have been people have seen unanswered prayer. They've just seen James one of the disciples murdered by Herod, and now they've got hold of Peter. There could have been a sense of, this has already happened once, it's going to happen again. We've seen this before. We, I, I believe they prayed for James in the same way they're praying for Peter, and yet James died. And so maybe there's all sorts of questions in that moment. Maybe they're thinking time's running out. Maybe for some of them they're wondering, is this the will of God? You know, G Jesus has prophesied over Peter that you will suffer and you will die. And so maybe for some of them they're thinking, do we need to pray into this? Because this is, or is this just a fulfillment of the will of God? There could be all sorts of questions and things going on. But the Bible tells us that the church earnestly prayed. They persisted in prayer because they chose to say that it's only through prayer that we will see God move. And that is what we're looking for. So how do we persist in prayer? 
I believe, as I've said, we've got to endure some of those things and some of those unanswered questions and say, God, I'm still going to come to you in prayer, even if I don't have all of my answers met. One of the biggest things that I believe we have to come overcome in terms of our persistence in prayer is distraction. How many of us have um, sat down or created space to pray, then your mind wanders? And 10 or 15 minutes goes by and you find yourself where you, you've created a story or you've gone through a whole loop of different things and you're thinking, how have I ended up here? Well, maybe that's just me. But I want to encourage you today that I believe, actually, that in those moments, the things that our mind wanders to is what God wants to speak to us about. And so if you, rather than viewing those things as a distraction and an obstacle, use those as fuel for your prayer, I believe that we will encounter God much, much more. And so in those moments, when you're distracted and you're thinking about something else, I want you to pray for that thing and then come and center yourself back on God and say, God, what would you like to talk about next? Because there's opportunities for us to meet with God and to persist and to push through with him. God is interested in every area of your life. But it requires us to build up some resilience with him. And I believe that resilience is built up as we persist and we endure and we push through. Give me a wave if you like going to the gym. That's a good response. That's a great response. A couple of people, that's fantastic. A couple of people. I did phrase it very cleverly um, to see who likes going to the gym. Um, a few people put their hands up. Um, 97% did not, which is great. Now, going to the gym is one of those things that we can both enjoy and, and hate, but um, there's, a, there's a process that takes place when you go to the gym. If you lift weights, then what you do in that moment, by lifting the weight, by getting that resistance, you are creating resilience in you. Because what you're doing as you lift those things, you are literally tearing and breaking down muscle fibers. It's deliberate, it's intentional, because when the muscle fibers are rebuilt, they grow bigger. That's how you develop muscle. And so you need to break them down. So the pain the next day or the next few days, if you've done really well, is intended. But what you need is a, a resilience that says, despite that pain, I'm going to go back again. And I'm going to persist. And I'm going to push through. So even though I'm in pain, I'm going to push through. But often, many of us, myself included, feel that pain and then don't go back. A few months later, you think, I should, should do some exercise. You do something, you think, oh, I love exercise. Hate the pain, not going back. But actually, prayer is one of those things that if we can push through and persist in, we can develop great rhythms. I'd love you to turn your attention to the screen. Look at this next picture. This next picture comes with this prayer. Just listen to these words. May I have the courage to expect good for my life and the world and resilience if and when those expectations are disappointed. <coughs> bit emotional now. But just look at that for a moment. Some of us might be carrying disappointments because expectations haven't been met or things aren't in the place we expect. But I believe that through prayer, we can build resilience in ourselves and our relationship with God, that we can come through these things and see incredible answers and God move in power. <coughs> I'd love you to get a hold of these books. They're incredible. Our third point is that prayers or prayers question. 
prayer's question. You see, we, we persist and we, we grapple with this sense that there's unanswered questions and there's answer prayer and unanswered prayer in our lives. But it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to wonder. It's okay to grapple with those things. You see, we, what, we, what I love about these verses that we've read and as we see in it, there's no superheroes. There's no prayer warriors. There's no great intercessors making intercession on behalf of the people, but just a group of ordinary, broken people who can't even let Peter into the house. Like the, these people are just confused. They then, get, they then make up this story, oh, maybe it's an angel that's come. Like they're so trying to work it out, so trying to make sense of what's taking place. They're just ordinary people like you and me trying to make sense of what God is doing. They're fragile, they're flawed, they're broken. They're full of sinfulness. And yet God uses them in this way. And so I believe that in our lives, as we see this, we've got to be people <coughs> that embrace the fact that together in community, we're not looking to develop superheroes. We're looking to develop ourselves as normal, everyday individuals who just depend upon God to come and do what only he can do. We're often looking for superheroes, aren't we? You only have to turn to the um, screens, whether that's Netflix or um, on the movies and cinema, to see the amount of films that are about superheroes. You know, if you, can, if you get a few people together to talk about superheroes, you'll usually get passionate um, response. Who's their favourite? Is it Iron Man or Spider-Man? You know, what, what superpower would you have if you could have one? Would you fly? Would you be invincible? Anybody fly? Nobody. Great, okay. Anybody be invincible? A couple of people. Okay, what's your superpower then? What would you pick? Spiderwebs. Good one. Good one, Alan. Alan's going to be Spider-Man. And then this other greatest question is, is Batman a superhero? Um, the answer is no, um, in case you're interested. <laughs> But there is this sense that we're looking for something greater, something beyond, somebody to come and do something, and we're looking for somebody else to do it for us. But we're in the midst of our questions, I believe that we've got to be people that stand up and say, this is on us. This is on us as a community to gather, to earnestly pray and believe that God is going to move in power. They may have questions, and we've got a question. We've got to ask good questions, questions that lead us into the presence of God, questions that lead us and draw us into faith. You see, when we begin to ask questions, questions can lead us in one of two directions. Questions can lead us to God and what God is doing, or they can push us away. You see, when we stack up questions, we then got a choice about what we do about them, do with them. I love the thought that when Jesus gives the Great Commission, literally just before he gives the Great Commission for them to go, the words are, and some doubted. And some doubted. God's not worried about your doubts and your fears. But what he's interested in, he's interested to push you and, to pursue, and for you to pursue a life that's going to go on his name and go in his word so that we can see incredible things take place. See, our doubts and our fears don't add up in terms of this sense of you've got to worry about them or you've got to kind of get over them in order to move into the presence of God. No, come with your doubts, your fears, your questions, but come to the presence of God. Don't allow them to be a blockage to what God is doing. One of the prayers from this book says, may I have the wisdom and the patience to let questions planted in me wait, rest and germinate rather than anxiously harvest answers whose season has not yet come. 
And I just wonder sometimes if we're looking for answers to questions that um, there's a bit more time to wait on. Jesus was the master of asking questions. Then you have to look in scripture that a question comes to him, he asks another one. Someone comes to him looking for something, he asks them a question. You see, there's a, um, a, a mindset of rabbis that is all about asking questions. You show wisdom by the questions that you ask. And I believe we've got to be the same by showing our wisdom by the questions we ask of God and the questions that we ask of one another. But allow your questions to draw you into the presence of God to find those answers. I found this myself with the Word of God in particular. And um, if I read something, I'm like, that doesn't make sense or I can't quite get my head around it. What I've found is I just say to God, God, I need an answer on this. And what I've invariably found is within one calendar month, the answer has come. If through something I'm reading, somebody says something just on, in a talk from the platform, something else. Or I, get, or I read another passage of scripture and find the answer. I believe we've just got to ask some of those things and lay them before God and say, God, what is the answer to this? So we need to endure. We can persist. <coughs> we've got to ask questions. But allow those questions to draw us to God, not be obstacles to God. Fourth point is that prayers, prayers navigate. There's a navigation that takes place in our story next as the, as the people of God begin to try and make sense of what's taking place. It actually marks a shift in the whole of the book of Acts. Prior to this, the focus has been on Jerusalem and the focus has been on Peter. Now what we see is a shift in narrative and a focus on Paul and a focus on the Gentiles as the good news begins to spread out. So Peter's come to um, his friends. He's escaped prison. He's knocked on the door. He's told them to stop having a party and celebrating. Otherwise, they're all going to get arrested. And then all the Bible says is, is that he left for another place. Now, in reality, nobody really knows where Peter went. My guess is he wanted to keep his life, so he went underground. It's thought that he probably went to Antioch, but he only pops up again in Acts, in Acts 15, at what is essentially a conference. So he turns up at a conference um, once to give a simple point, and then we don't hear about him again. But he's literally, he just goes missing, so at that point, because he's navigating, and then the church leadership shifts. So Paul, um, Peter was leading the church. It's then handed on to James. So we see this huge change begin to take place. And the people of God are navigating through this, the circumstances in front of them, what is taking place. And I believe that we've got to be the same. That when we encounter God, and when we know God through prayer, it's going to cause us to need to navigate with him what takes place. I don't know about you, but I don't think from this story, Peter's heard from God. He doesn't say it anyway. He hasn't got a sense of, oh, I've heard from God now. Now it's time to leave Jerusalem. He's responding to the circumstances in front of him. But for many of us, when we think about how to navigate or how to hear from God, we avoid circumstances as if they're wrong. Whereas Peter in this situation is just saying, if I want to keep my life, if I want to stay alive, I need to move from Jerusalem. I need to move from this place. I've got to do something different. I wonder for us, how do, we, how do you hear from God? I mean, even that question doesn't help us. You know, when we think about all we talk about as Christians, what does it mean to hear from God? I sometimes wonder if we just put ourselves on the wrong place. How many of us have ever really heard a tangible or real voice from God? For me, it's more of an impression. 
or a feeling. It's more of a, a sense of this person comes to mind or I need to pray for this person or a circumstance comes to my thinking or I'm in conversation with someone and something comes up or the circumstances before me point in a certain way. There's all sorts of ways that God looks to speak to us if we're willing to be open to the Holy Spirit at work around our lives. So I don't know about you or how you hear from God, but I want to encourage us to pursue God in some different ways and to allow him to speak to us. Henry Blackaby, who's one of my favorite um, writers and discipleship um, guys, he talks about how the Holy Spirit speaks to us in, through four things, the church, the community, and the church together, the word of God, as we read the word and connect with it, prayer, our own prayer, and circumstances. And as we understand those four things, then I believe we will encounter God and we will be able to hear from God so that we can know what he's saying to us. This week I um, did a three-day fast in the middle of the week and on the Wednesday morning I woke up with the name Obed-Edom in my head. Put your hand up if that's happened to you. Obed-Edom is in your head when you wake up. I was like, Obed-Edom, like, that rings a bell, but I, I'll be honest, I have no idea. I was like, is that a place? Is that a person? So I googled it, Obed-Edom. And Obed-Edom, if you don't know, you can read in 2 Samuel chapter 6, is the guy... <coughs> That was like a dramatic moment, wasn't it? Um, he's the guy that uh, the Ark of the Covenant comes to his house when everybody's terrified and doesn't know what to do with it. The Ark of the Covenant comes to his house and comes to stay with him for three months. And in that time, the Bible just gives us a short picture of what takes place, where his life is blessed, his family is blessed, as the presence of God is in the center of his life. So I had that name in my head, I did some research, I then did some reading, read the passages, did some reading around Obed-Edom, and I believe that God then began to speak to me about the significance now of us, for you and for me, with life with Jesus, of understanding the presence of God through the Holy Spirit has come to dwell with us in our hearts and in our homes. So God began to speak to me about what it means to practice the presence of God. I've been aware that in every moment, every situation, God himself is with us and for us. That in every moment, it's full of unlimited possibility and um, opportunities because God is literally in every moment. So in this moment, it's full, it's tangible. It's heavy with the glory of God, with the weight of God in this place. And so God just began to speak to me about that. That's how I believe God speaks to me. It might be different for you. It might be pictures. It might be images. But we've got to navigate this as we hear from God together. That requires trust. And so our final point is that prayers trust in what God is doing. See, when God is on the move and we hear from him, we're able to connect to what God is doing. And there's a blessing that comes. But we also need to depend upon God's, fight, God's supernatural intervention in our lives. It's supernatural what God does. I believe this is a position of our heart, and it's a position to praise and to worship God first. The end of this story that we've read today in Acts chapter 12, 18 to 24, tells this slightly odd story of Herod's death. And in that, what we see is the contrast between praise and glory going to God and praise and glory going to a man. So Herod, I want you to picture the scene. He's, um, he's pretty evil, but he's um, pretty good at what he does in terms of being a king. And so these other people group come to him saying we need to give honour and praise and worship to him so that we can sustain ourselves through food and we can um, sustain our lives. So they come to see him 
And Herod himself is then sat, he's then sat on his throne and he's wearing what they think is probably an outfit or um, costume, if you like, made out of silver fibres. So picture the scene. He's on a throne, sun shining upon him with a glimmering outfit. It's literally shining bright. He then gives a speech and the people then say, this isn't the voice of a man, this is the voice of God himself. And Herod says, thank you very much. And then an angel of the Lord comes, strikes him down, he's eaten by worms and dies. So there's a lesson for us. The glory goes to God. Unless you want to be struck down by an angel, eaten by worms and die. That's, that's the lesson from this. Now the lesson from this is that glory, all the glory goes to God. And so as we then think about the presence of God then coming into our hearts and lives, we can trust that God is for us and with us because we know that in our lives as we, we have the presence all around us. Praise and worship is our entrance to the presence. I love this thought in Obed-Edom's life that the presence is with him for three months and then the Ark of the Covenant moves back to Jerusalem. And it's not that clear in um, Scripture. It doesn't give the words Obed-Edom went with it, but he did. He went to Jerusalem, and we can see his name pop up. He pops up in two places, as a doorkeeper and a musician. He becomes a worshipper and someone who opens the door to the presence of God for others. And I believe that's a call on our lives. I believe that's the call and the purpose of prayer, is that we would worship God and so adore God and so worship him and get into his presence and connect with him that we would open the door for others to experience the same. And so I believe this came to me at the start of October. And I believe that we've got three months in the same way of Obed-Edom, of the presence of God coming amongst us in glory, in weight, and in power. And in three months' time, I believe God's going to begin to speak to us about moving and where we need to move to. And as God begins to speak to us about moving, he's looking for a people who are so in tuned with what he's doing and what he's saying that we're able to move with him in worship, in adoration and praise, and that we will open the doors to allow others to come in. That your life and my life, we will be people that the presence of God is so in and through and on us that we will be a doorway into the presence of God for people around us in our workplaces in our communities. And so I'd love to pray that over us now, and then we're going to apply this in a couple of different ways. So would you pray with me? Maybe you want to open up your hands. I just want to pray the presence of God upon us. God, I thank you for this story of Obed-Edom, of how he loved your presence. I pray, God, that your presence would fall upon us now. I ask, God, that we would be a people that so love your presence, that right through the day, in every situation, every moment, we would remember your presence and that we would worship you and adore you. We would exalt you and praise you. God, I pray that we would be a worshipping people, that praise and adoration would be our hallmark and it would lead us deeper into who you are. Come and release your presence, God, I pray. The glory of God come in this place. In Jesus' name. Amen. Love us to pray a prayer that's going to come up on the screen and then I'm going to give us a couple of practical um, applications. But if you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you don't yet know Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to give your life to God. And so a prayer is going to come up on the screen. <coughs> 
And then we're going to read this prayer out loud together. And um, then we're going to ask everyone to close their eyes. And in that moment, if you've prayed this for the first time, you want to say yes to Jesus, open your life to him. I'm going to ask you to um, lift your hand so that you know you've done it and we can get a booklet into your hand and help you. So let's pray this out loud. Father God. Oh, that's not right, is it? It's not the right word. Let's pray this out loud together. Thank you, God, for loving me before I ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I can get connected to you now because you are alive today. I admit that I've lived my life without you and I've messed up. I ask for your total forgiveness and I commit myself to you. Help me to submit my life to your teaching and direction from now on. I receive you into my life and ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Just close your eyes for a moment. So if you're here today and you don't yet know Jesus, just in the stillness of this moment, I want to give you an opportunity to give your life to him. So as everyone's got their eyes closed, if you want to say yes to him, would you raise your hand for me now? Nice and high. Say yes to God. Amen. Fantastic. That's great. I just want to give us a couple of practical things um, as we close um, our meeting. I believe that we've got to um, be people that intentionally practice the presence of God through our daily lives and through our rhythm. I believe this starts with us getting into, we get into the presence of God through praise and through worship. And so worship needs to be the atmosphere and the culture around our lives. Whether that's songs you sing yourself, whether that's um, worship music that you listen to, whether that's other things that you do, but praise and worship is going to set an atmosphere around our lives for the presence of God. There's also some practices that we can do because as we develop a rhythm then of hearing um, from God, I believe we've got to journal some of those things and write them down. If you've never journaled, I want to encourage you to do so and to write those things down. But I also want to encourage you just with a simple exercise to focus on the presence of God. Take 15 or 20 minutes, you might want to write this down, 15 or 20 minutes of practicing the presence of God. Just think about what is God like, his nature, his character, his goodness, his glory, his majesty, that he's king of kings and lord of lords. Think about those things. And every time your mind wanders, celebrate it. Pray for that. Apply God to it. Talk to God about each of those things. When you've done so, then come back to thinking again about how brilliant and how wonderful and loving God is. When your mind wanders again, apply that again. Just pray about it. Pursue God. Say, thank you, God, for where my mind has wandered. Thank you for those people. Thank you for that situation. I give you that fear. I give you that anxiety, that worry. Thank you that you're good and glorious and holy and come back to the presence of God. Do that. Set an alarm for 20 minutes. The presence of God will be around your life. It will be incredible. I'd love then at Connect Group you to talk about that, that experience of what it's like, to connect together and to say, what has this been like for us? It may be that you know that you're here today and you think, yeah, I need to begin to pray more. And there's prayer meetings that you can come to. There's things that you can do. <coughs> Thursday every week, you can come and gather here and pray. Wednesday once a month, on the first Wednesday of the month, we meet at 7 a.m. to pray for the city. 
We have prayer net if you want to pray for people who are sick and hurting. There's all sorts of ways. This Thursday night, we've got revived prayer and prophecy, whereas connect groups will be gathering and praying in small groups, but everybody coming together has an opportunity to pray and believing that as we do so, as the church prays, God is going to move in power and we're going to encounter him. The glory of God is going to be in this place. That's 7.30 this week. There are so many different ways that we can do this. My time's through, but I want to encourage us and um, impart something into us today of saying prayer isn't something we add to our life. Prayer is the vehicle and the tool for us to jump higher, to experience God more and his joy and his wonder and his love. Let's enjoy prayer. Let's go for it. Andy.